0: So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Luke, the 17th chapter, the 10th verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. If you are like me, the times when Jesus makes the claims made in today's gospel passage are sometimes the hardest to reconcile with how we perceive the world we live in. I grew up in a tradition that fervently believed that everything in the Bible was unreservedly true. All the miracles happened the way they were described. There were no linguistic tricks at play which made things in the Bible seem more fantastical than they actually were. Yet at the same time, that tradition almost as fervently discredited modern displays of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this wasn't exactly a dogmatic position. You could certainly be part of the fold and believe in modern-day works of the Spirit, but it was not exactly a widely held opinion. There were several different reasons given for this viewpoint, but in my estimation, they mostly boiled down to the root truth that most people have not seen a miracle in modern times. This perceived lack of miraculous works being witnessed could certainly be cause for concern if we were to let it. Doesn't Jesus say in verse 6 that the smallest amount of faith could cast a tree into the sea? Somewhere else doesn't he say that if we had the most minute faith, we could cast mountains down? What about all the promises to heal or to cast out demons, or to do greater works than those Jesus himself does. If this is how you sometimes feel when reading the passages about miraculous works and spiritual gifts, be assured that you are not alone. I think this is part of what is going on in today's gospel when the apostles demand that Jesus increase their faith. Jesus makes a connection between the amount of faith and the greatness of the works performed, but the relationship is not what we would expect. We would naturally think that it should take the greatest faith to do great works. It takes great strength to move very heavy things, so it obviously must take great faith to move mountains, uproot trees, or any number of other mighty works. However, Jesus says that faith, which is only comparable to the grain of a mustard seed, is all that is needed to do such a great work as to command a mulberry tree to pull itself up by the roots and be cast into the sea. This presents a paradox for us. If it only takes the smallest of faith to do these great works, then why aren't such works being done on a daily basis? St. John Chrysostom, the great preacher, says that the apostles didn't go and command the mulberry tree to cast itself into the middle of the sea because there simply was no need to do so. In fact, the Fathers attest that there is a deeper layer under the hypothetical sign of having the tree uproot itself and be cast into the sea. A common assertion among saints John Chrysostom and Ambrose, as well as the Venerable Bede and probably others, is that just as the mustard seed stands for the most humble faith, so does the great mulberry tree stand for the intractability of sin. It turns out that the tree Jesus is referring to translated in English as a mulberry tree, is in the Greek referred to as a sycamine tree. After reading some of the Father's descriptions of the tree, I I did some Googling and found out that the sycamine has several interesting properties. First, as the Father's all attest, the tree's branches have a reddish cast, and its fruit is red like blood. This reminded the venerable bead of the cross, and Jesus' blood spilled against sin. The fruit of the tree also ripens rapidly and goes from a white flower to a red fruit, which quickly ripens into a dark, almost black color. This reminded Ambrose of how the adversary fell from the purity of his angelic nature to the utter blackness of his eternal damnation. Finally, the fact that the leaf and fruit are food for many types of worm and grub reminded John Chrysostom of the worm that isn't satisfied, which Jesus often reminds us of when he talks about the reality of hell. A detail I found while preparing this lesson is that the sycamine also has a very invasive root system, making it extremely difficult to remove without seriously damaging the earth around it. One can also reasonably expect that a sycamine tree beginning to grow in a field intended for crops Could mean that vital nutrients meant for the crops would be going to the tree instead. This, too, is a picture of how sin invades, becomes difficult to root out, and steals away joy, light, purity, love, gladness, and the other things which come from God. Therefore, the wondrous miracle that Jesus is telling his apostles they will do is not merely that they will command trees to uproot themselves into the sea or do something as simple as change the landscape by moving mountains. It is something far more improbable. They will be instrumental in defeating sin and the works of the world, the flesh, and the devil. They will, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the merits of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, put to death sin in their own lives, drowning it in the flood of Jesus' cleansing blood. Moreover, they will lead others to do the same, helping to turn some of the most lawless and pitiable creatures into sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the same that he says about the apostles, he says for us as well. If we have even the humblest faith, we can overcome sin. If that sounds like a bold statement, good, it is bold but the meaning must be understood in the same way that Jesus continues with his teaching. Jesus doesn't stop with declaring the mighty works that can be done with the smallest faith. He goes on to tell this small parable about the proper expectations of servants. The meaning behind this at first seems to take the wind out of our sails. No matter what we do, we are still unworthy. Because we have only done what was commanded of us it would be easy to get somewhat discouraged by this teaching, but we need to keep in mind what brings Jesus to give this teaching. Think about the parallels for a moment to how other people outside of Jesus' inner circle asked for miracles to be performed. He almost always did so in the form of asking for signs and wonders. In response to this, Jesus typically turned their demands back on them and called out the hardness of their hearts. Even if they had seen the wondrous works they demanded, they would find reasons to disbelieve. It seems to me that something similar is going on in this instance. It is not the same. The apostles already believe in Jesus as the Christ, so they're not asking for proofs of who he is. Instead, it seems to be an error of the same species or type although their acceptance and confession of Jesus as God's anointed one mitigates the thing that brings scorn and rebuke on the scribes and Pharisees. This seems to be the case to me chiefly because Jesus responds to the apostles' plea for increased faith with the teaching about the mustard seed. He connects their request to doing mighty works. Since Jesus knows the hearts of all humanity, it seems likely to me that he discerned that at least Part of the reason behind their request was a desire to do great works and receive all the benefits that might come with displaying such power. So along with revealing that even the least part of faith will allow them to do great works in Jesus' name, our Lord also teaches them that great works are the least part of being his followers. Even so great a work as helping to uproot sin from a human heart without destroying it without destroying it utterly, is something that they cannot boast in. The teaching about unworthy servants, then, is in part a revelation that whatever mighty works we as Christians might do, whether flashy and obvious or mystical and obscured, we only do those works because God commands them. If God did not command us to do any great work, well, then no great works would be done. Just as it is only because God commands it of us that we can do any works, it is only by God's power that the works are possible at all. If God withheld the power of his Holy Spirit, then whatever good thoughts come to mind to do good works would be fruitless and frivolous. Jesus wants us to focus not on having faith so that we can do good works, since if we have any faith at all, God will do whatever works he wills through us. The focus of our faith is that we know God and we know we are loved by God, even in the absence of wonders and miracles. Our faith then lets us see, as the fathers have seen, that the mightiest works of all are those we can barely understand are even happening. The collect for this week speaks on this. In the prayer, we ask God to keep the church, God's family, free from hurts and worldly cares, and that by his protection, we may do good works for the glory of his name. This gives us a right framing along with the gospel lesson that the purpose of good works is to the glory of God. They are not marks of deep faith. They are not badges of superior Christianity. Neither are they the minimum mark for considering someone a Christian another error that has been taught in the recent past. If you would like to read more about miracles and their place in modern life, in modern belief in Jesus, I suggest C.S. Lewis's Miracles. This book was a great help to me when I was troubled about the seeming conflict between Jesus promising that we would do great works and the scarcity of credible miracles in our current age. The bottom line in all of the Church's teachings about miracles is that they are proofs that God is at work, yet they are not the chief work themselves. Christians performing good works are the same thing, proofs of the work of God, but Christians exist for so much more than performing miraculous works. The greater works, the works that destroy sin and drive out the devil, are works of charity and mercy, speaking the truth in love, proclaiming the gospel to whomever is placed in front of us to hear it, And finally, chiefly, remaining constant in prayer so that we may draw closer to God and be empowered by his Holy Spirit for when he calls us to do these great works. May we be granted faith to do these works, not for our boasting, but for God's glory. Amen.